2: in this country without regard to party politics and now here's michael cargill
3: good day austin texas the live music capital of the world let's praise the lord and pass the ammunition all right so today we're going to have uh, the attorney one of the attorneys for Dango perry uh inside the studio going to talk about that court case and kind of break some of that stuff down because i want to get into the weeds and get into the details of you know, how this case unfolded, you know, what happened on that particular night back in 2020 when we had protests, rioters, protesters uh, downtown Austin. And then Daniel Perry, who's a sergeant, in United States Army uh, Uber driver, was driving, dropping off a passenger downtown, picking up another passenger and end up running to protesters, um, not physically, but, you know, figuratively uh, and end up there was a shooting. And so we're going to talk about that, how that stuff unfolded, and and how it came to pass, how did he get convicted of murder and actually get sentenced to, I think, 25 years. Uh, also, man, breaking news out of the state of Texas, Austin. DPS, Department of Public Safety, is temporarily suspending partnership with Austin police as troopers redeployed to Texas border cities. So, man, the last day for the Department of Public Safety troopers to be in Austin was uh, May 13th. So that was the last day. So as of today, chaos is actually – it's it's chaos now already. already. Chaos. It's chaos already. Man, it's crazy were, out here. There was, some, there was like a car chase like early this morning. <laughs> it was chaos already. So it didn't even take long. Uh, the Texas Department of Public Safety has suspended its partnership with the Austin Police Department. Uh, the move comes as Title 42 policies expired earlier this week. According to an email message from APD Chief Joseph Chacon, DPS troopers are being heavily deployed in border cities. It is unknown at this time when DPS will be able to re-engage in the partnership with APD. But it will not be for several weeks at least, said Chacon. So the partnership between the two agencies, dubbed the Austin Violent Crimes Task Force, began on March 30th as as a way to help APD with its 300 vacancies. APD statistics have shown a significant decrease in violent crime, response times, and calls for service in the areas where, like, DPS troopers have been supplementing APD officers on patrols. Now, violent crime in hotspots areas dropped by 58%, according to data from the department. Despite the benefits, some council members and community advocates have called for changes to the partnership, saying uh, it's unfairly targeting communities of color. And DPS and APD at a council briefing earlier this month said they would make some adjustments to eliminate any unintended consequences. Now, you know, according to Chief Chacon, he says this in a statement i like to take this moment to thank DPS for the work they have done to assist in keeping our community safe. Uh, and he, I will keep you informed on when we anticipate their return, as I am made aware. So we'll see what happens and how this stuff progresses. Um, we'll see what happens down by the border. You know, see if uh, I think the, the state guard, you know, Texas state guards down there, DPS troopers down there. So we'll see what happens uh, with what's happening at the border. I know some people are concerned here in Austin. I had some people walk to the gun store try to, you know, buy firearms. because so they're concerned about uh, the the crisis, so-called crisis at the border. So we'll see how that affects us here, knowing that we're, you know, back down to short, we're short 300 uh, police officers now and we're not being helped by helped out by the state police. So we'll see how that progresses. Um, also, there's some other breaking news. A federal judge rules that adults ages 18 to 20 cannot be blocked from purchasing handguns from federal firearms licensed dealers. Now, this is a really, really big deal, Zach. Really big deal. That is Because we're talking about, you know, as of right now, you know, in Texas, if you're 18, 19, and 20 years old, you cannot purchase a handgun from a gun store or federal firearms licensed dealer. You actually have to get it as a private sale or as a gift. Uh, you can buy a long gun, a rifle, or shotgun from a gun store at 18, as as young as 18. But for a handgun, you have to be at least 21 years of age to, in order to purchase it from a federal firearms license dealer. And a uh, bill just got through a committee uh, in relation to that as well, right? Here That's right. It, a lot of bills are going, um, are actually passing a, around the country where they're raising that age limit, you know, from 18 to 21. So they're trying to rifles. say that you
4: can't even get a rifle at age 18
3: to 20. So for a majority of that's right, for a majority of rifles, you know, like AR15s, the majority of uh rifles, they're actually raising raising that age to 21 years of age. So they don't want anyone 18 to 20 to have any kind of firearm. That's right. You can own your own home, you know, you can live in your, you know, live by yourself at 18, 19. You can go 20. to the army. You can and die go f- fight overseas and die for your country. That's right. Die for your country, you can you go can vote. vote. That's mm-hmm. right. Uh but but they don't want you to be able to defend yourself at all at home. That's crazy. That's wild. Yes. Ah. <sighs> but you know what? Guess what? That all what they're trying to do in, in Texas, uh, certain people, what they're trying to do in other states around the country, that's not going to pass the constitutional smell test. Mm -mm. it's going to be struck down by these courts. That's right. So a federal judge in Virginia has ruled that federal laws prohibiting 18- to 20-year-olds from getting handguns at federally licensed firearms dealers are unconstitutional. Now, this is in a 71-page opinion released Wednesday in U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Virginia. Uh, Senior U.S. District Judge Robert Payne ruled that Federal laws and regulations barring the dealers from selling the handguns to adults ages 18 to 20 violates the Second Amendment. Now, Payne ruled in favor of four men between the ages of 18 and 20 who expressed a desire to purchase handguns from the federal licensed firearms dealers, denying the defense motion to dismiss and granting the plaintiffs a summary judgment. So, man, they couldn't get dismissed. Didn't get, you know, a motion to stay or anything. Nothing. Man. So we'll see that they're going to have to appeal this case to the uh, to the appellate court. And then if the appellate court takes it up, they're going to have to, you know, we'll see how they rule. And it possibly could go to the Supreme Court. This is we're looking at a Supreme Court case in the making. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean right now that 18, 19, 20 year olds can go out right now and purchase handguns from federal firearms license dealers because you can't. Mm-hmm. They can you, get them as gifts or private sales. That's right. Rank. You cannot walk into the gun store and buy a handgun right now. So we have to wait until this case, because I've been getting phone calls already. We have to wait until this case makes its way up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court rules on this, and then that would become the law of the land. I want to come back uh, and talk a little bit more about this story the 18, 19, 20 year olds being able to purchase handguns from federal firearms licensed dealers. Also, this is big. You know, this story is really big because guess what? Now, 18, 19, 20-year-olds can get a license to carry handgun and carry handgun in the state of Texas. And, you know, man, this is really big. You can get your license. If this passes, you'll be able to buy a handgun. Man, we're going to talk about this and more. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Peace,
1: this is Mark Q. You're listening to Come and Talk It Radio with Michael Cargill.
2: Welcome back to Come and Talk It, and now here's Michael Cargill.
3: All right, so we're back, and i tell you, we're talking about that, um, man, the, the federal cases that are going on around the country. We're talking about the, the court case that actually um, where 18-, 19-, 20-year-olds will be able to, they can now get their life-to-carry handgun in Texas, and also 18-, 19-, 20-year-olds. Man, soon, if this case, you know, makes it to the Supreme Court, you know, they'll be able to purchase handguns from a federal farms licensed dealer, uh, which, you know, the judge says, hey, you know what, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-olds should be able to purchase handguns from dealers because uh, the, you know, our forefathers, the framers of our Constitution, you know, they didn't put any restrictions on 18, 19, 20-year-olds. You know, at 18, you, you know, you're younger than that. You're able to die for your country, defend your country. Um, so there were no restrictions when it comes, you know, when it came to that, during that time frame. So they said, hey, that's not in the framework. Of and the mindset of what our forefathers were thinking about.
4: Fun fact: uh, James Monroe was 18. Aaron Burr was 20. Ooh, check that out. Uh-huh. Alexander Hamilton was
3: 21. Oh man, we got to come back and talk <laughs> about that. Yeah. All right, I want to change gears a little bit though. I want to talk about this Daniel Perry case. Uh, for those that don't know, if you you know, because you've been you know sitting under a rock somewhere, uh, back on July 25th of 2020, Garrett Foster, a 28-year-old man. Was killed in Austin, Texas by 30-year-old Daniel Perry, Sergeant United States Army, who was working part-time for a rideshare company, uh, Uber, and dropping off a pasture, picking up another another pasture, downtown Austin, End up running into a protest, you know, that was going on downtown Austin, rioters, protesters. Uh, it was called a Black Lives Matter event. And so this is all surrounding the, you know, going back to like May 2020, the George Floyd uh, and all that stuff, you know, that protest and all that stuff going on. So Daniel Perry finds himself downtown Austin. Um, and he drops off the on the 4th Street, goes to Congress, makes that right turn the Congress. As he's making that right turn, protesters are marching up Congress. And he ends up coming to a stop. They surround his vehicle. And you know what? We have uh, Daniel Perry's attorney here inside the studio. And I'm going to have him tell us, you know, what happened on that night of July 25th. Man, you know what? Sir, welcome to Come and Talk.
5: Glad to be here.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, tell us, you know, tell us about yourself a little bit. Uh, Doug, Doug, you were in the military.
5: Uh, a long time in the military. I did. That's right, Doug. Altogether, 30 years. 30 years. What branch of service? Army. Army. Uh, yes, sir. 15 uh, years active duty, 15 years reserve component. It wasn't. Sequential like that, it was a lot of back and forth, especially after nine eleven.
3: The most important branch of service, the United States Army. <laughs> Don't forget it.
5: I was a uh, Green Beret officer, and so I uh, spent a lot of time. Well, all my deployments were in special operations assignments. So Iraq was with the 10th Special Forces Group at the initial invasion and early days of that conflict, and then later on. Afghanistan. I worked for the U.S. Special Operations Command, and then spent some time here in the United States working for the Joint Special Operations Command, and uh, later commanded a unit that did a lot of work in Northwest Africa. Wow! Nice. That, that, I just boiled down thirty years. Wow! Right <laughs> was,
3: that's big. That's very, very good uh, accomplishment there, and thank you for your service, sir. Um, and so, you know, let's 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 get down to what happened on in July there 2020 uh your client you know um was actually dropped off at Pastor downtown i'll let you take it from there
5: sure you had pretty much the facts accurate um he had come down from Fort Hood earlier that day because if you're going to try to make money as a rideshare uh you're going to make more money in Austin than clean texas and michael you may recall uh you, If you're in the military, you're inevitably going to have pay problems. They're going to screw up your pay. And Daniels uh, had experienced some pay problems recently. They hadn't paid him right. He needed to make money. Comes down to Austin. Travels all around the city, goes out to the airport, picking up fares. He's north, he's south, he's everywhere. And then uh, right around 10 o'clock, he is downtown on 4th Street, you mentioned, and he's having this text exchange with a young lady. And the young lady is somebody he had driven earlier in the evening, and now she's in touch, inviting him to link up, have a romantic liaison with, with him. Oh, nice. Okay. And Daniel's single, and he was very much interested in hooking up with this gal. And then, so they're texting back and forth, and then she drops a bomb and says... Hey, uh, you know, bring two hundred dollars when you come pick me up and we oh. get together. Okay. So she was looking to get paid for this rendezvous. Mm. And that threw a curve in Daniel's plans. And as he's approaching Congress Avenue, he is, you know, trying to figure out a snappy comeback to tell this gal, uh, not only do I not pay for it, but you know something, some kind of retort right. to to let her know he was disappointed. Right. Um, and so he makes that right-hand turn. And you're right. He does stop his vehicle because he can't proceed forward anymore.
3: He didn't make contact with anyone.
5: No. He did not hit anybody. The vehicle didn't touch anybody. The In fact, you know, at the start of the curve, he was going 12 miles an hour and then 8 miles an hour and then 6 miles an hour and then... How do we know that? We know that from uh, forensic engineering. We had an engineering company out of Colorado examine all the videos and the photos Uh, they did a complete scan of that intersection and they were able to tell us with exact precision how fast he was going
3: because there's like there there are cameras there isn't that halo cameras
5: close by or something there was some halo camera evidence and there was also some uh surveillance cameras from the frost bank building
3: okay so halo cameras are the cameras that the city of austin you know uses to you know Go back and take a look at, you know, different things that are going on and, and actually traffic and handle traffic and all that kind of stuff if you don't know. And then security camera footage is from the different businesses, local businesses yep. close by. Okay.
5: And so the vehicle stops and then it the vehicle immediately gets attacked. People are kicking uh, the car, hitting the car. How many S- set
3: of footprints were on the vehicle? Uh,
5: 24 sets of handprints.
3: 24 sets of handprints
5: were on the vehicle. On the vehicle. Handprint. Different. That's di- 24 different people. We don't know that exactly, okay. to be fair. We don't know that exactly because some of the prints weren't uh, enough of a print to, for them to analyze. Okay. Um, they did.
3: But 24 different fingers? Yes. Gotcha. They hands. did hands. hands. Oh, 24... 24 different hands.
5: Well, that's the point I'm trying to make. Okay. We don't know if it was 12 people or 10 people or 24 people, um, but we do know the car is surrounded. Gotcha. And something hits the passenger side window so hard that it skims along the window and etches a scratch into it deep enough and powerful enough with enough force to hit the window that hard. And so Daniel... Did it you know, break the window? Did not crack the window, okay. but it, it, it is etched. The, this scrape is etched into the window. So gotcha. imagine how okay. hard that would have had to be. Correct. Um, Daniel stops he he looks to his left. He's trying to figure out what's going on. Then looks. I'm sorry. Looks to his right. Then looks to his left. Is
3: his window up or down?
5: Windows are up. Okay. As he looks to his left, he sees this man approaching with a, a AK-47. Daniel knows what an AK-47 is. Absolutely. In Afghanistan, and he sees this guy motioning for Daniel to put his roll his window down.
3: Now, how, how often has um, Daniel been deployed to? overseas Afghanistan
5: well Afghanistan once once for okay. a period of nine or ten months okay and then he also did served in Germany
3: how long ago before how long ago had he been de- uh, deployed to Afghanistan did this happen you know?
5: uh it had been several years Daniel years, okay. joined the military right after 9/11 okay because he felt like uh, that's what he should do okay and so it had, it had been several years Uh since he had been deployed. Okay. So he sees this guy, guy motions for him to roll down the window. Uh this of course is Garrett Foster. Mr. Foster's wearing a uh, a mask and a hat and uh Daniel without I guess thinking too much. Right. And I know, I know we have
3: a photo window. of that too yeah. of the way uh, Garrett Foster was looking that night.
5: And then um uh, very shortly this all happened in a matter of six seconds. Mr. Foster, who has the weapon at the low ready, starts to raise it up, and and according to Daniel, it gets about parallel with his the bottom edge of his driver's side window. And Daniel decides uh, that he has to take action to defend his life. He pulls out his firearm, a handgun, and fires five rounds. Uh, Pretty much all of those hitting Mr. Foster.
3: And the window, you said he had rolled the
5: window down? He did. Okay. And then uh, as soon as he discharges his firearm, people are scattering, so he's able to move forward. He drives down the street, down Congress, going south within 40 seconds, uh, is on the phone calling 911. He's begging the 911 operator to let him come to the police station so he can be safe, so he can make contact with law enforcement. 911 operator doesn't want him to do that, wants him to pull over and have officers contact him. And so he does do exactly that off of-
3: Let me go go back for a second. So tell me about the traffic, uh, uh, the people walking on, you know, blocking traffic. Um, we come back from the break. I want to ask you about that. I want to ask you about blocking traffic. Uh, what's the punishment for that, you know, for blocking the roadway and stuff like that? want to get into that and a little bit more. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It.
5: Hi, this is Stephen Willifer, the Barefoot Defender. I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talk It.
0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.
2: Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All
3: right, so we're talking about the Daniel Perry uh, trial. We're talking with the defense attorney, Doug O'Connell, uh, defense attorney for Daniel Perry. We're talking about the murder trial that took place this year. Well, Daniel Perry was sentenced to... 15 years.
5: 25.
3: I'm sorry, 25 years. Wow. 25 years. All right. So, um, and Doug, we're going back to that night, and there are a couple questions out there. People are throwing questions at us. Uh, Someone says, uh, well, you forgot to mention the visible foot traffic in front of him when he drove into the crowd. You want to address that?
5: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, As Daniel Perry is approaching Congress Avenue from 4th Street, uh, what he can see is on the far side of the intersection, there is foot traffic. But he's not going straight. He's turning right. And he doesn't see the bulk of the crowd until he is already committed to the right-hand turn, and that's why the speed drops from 12 to 8 to 6 to stop. And so the other thing to keep in mind is that we had uh, – two other uber drivers who are operating downtown that night testify and we also had another civilian out there who was driving around and they testified as well and the it's consistent across the evidence that saturday night in austin texas there's always lots of foot traffic uh especially in the entertainment area people coming in in and out of bars and traveling all over the street um you know what's lost in this whole analysis is Daniel Perry. He did commit a crime, and that crime was turning right on red without stopping. Mm. That that is a crime, and and we're we've never shied away from that. But he had an absolute right to be on the streets with his car, and the protesters, uh, while while exercising their First Amendment rights, that's not an absolute right. And in Austin, what the government normally requires is that you get a uh that you get a permit ahead of time so they can block the streets and make it safe for everybody okay and that, of course that didn't happen all right
3: and then there's another question out there someone says isn't daniel an ex-fbi informant
5: no no <laughs> okay i don't know i've never heard that before daniel would have told me that's that's crazy
3: yeah I, love, I just want to throw everything out there so people... Uh, you know,
5: hey. lately, a lot of people seem confused because the ex-Marine up in New York City... Daniel Penny. Daniel Penny, Penny. right. Daniel Perry, Daniel Penny. There's a lot of confusion. I'm not suggesting Mr. Penny is ex-anything other other than a Marine, um, but... Maybe that's where that's from.
1: The only yeah. ex-FBI informant I can think of in any pol- highly politicized case like this would be Enrique Terrio from the Proud Boys, but that's completely unrelated. Maybe that's what the person is thinking of. All
3: right, and then I, w- I want to get into – all right, so he makes that right turn, um, and I want to ask you about blocking traffic. Yes, you have a First Amendment right to uh, to protest and take to the streets and let you know the world know that your grievances and all that good kind of stuff. But is it legal for you to block traffic?
5: It's not. Okay. It's so, not.
3: So two people were committing a crime there. Uh, the protesters were committing a crime by blocking traffic. Daniel Perry committed a crime uh, by making a right turn on the red before stopping.
5: Correct. And Mr. Foster was breaking a handful of crimes. Not just one? Not just one. Okay. What was, uh, what was he doing wrong? There was testimony, consistent testimony, that he was brandishing the rifle, the AK-47. Meaning pointing to that Pointing it at somebody, but more specifically, the legal definition, I believe, is uh, carrying it in a threatening manner. Gotcha. And so, you know, the police had ta- tried to talk to Foster and say, hey, um, what you're doing is concerning to people. It's scaring people. It's unnecessary. You have the absolute right to carry a firearm, but why don't you sling it on your back? Why are you carrying it at the low ready with your hand on the pistol grip and the other hand on the foregrip because the police officers were trying to communicate to foster that anybody who knows anything about firearms knows that it's going to take just two tenths of a second to bring that rifle up and point it at somebody. And of course in our country, you don't have to wait till the firearms pointed at you to take action.
3: Okay. And then I want to get into, um, you said, he made that right turn. Can um, Michael?
5: I'm sorry. No, go ahead. you you made the point. Mr. Foster was committing several other okay. offenses. We should probably talk about that before go for I it. forget. Go for it. One of the pieces of evidence that was excluded uh, was Mr. Foster's military records, and the, those military records had to do with why he was discharged, involuntarily discharged from from the Air Force. And so Garrett Foster, was, Garrett Foster, yeah, was he was an Air Force veteran who had been administratively separated involuntarily. Okay, and and I want you and your listeners to understand. I'm bringing this evidence out because it is was offered at trial as part of the record, um, and it's important for listeners to understand. I'm not trying to bash the dead guy, um, but it's important to the our collective conversation. Okay. So the reason Mr. Foster was separated from the Air Force is because he suffered from suicidal ideation. Mm. And uh, that caused the Air Force officials to order him into psychiatric care at a military facility. And then once he was discharged from the psychiatric facility, he was, uh, the separation process started. Here's what's important about that. The Air Force officials determined that... uh, Mr. Foster was no longer legally uh, able to possess a firearm.
3: Uh-oh.
5: And and what specifically what we're talking about is 18 USC 922 G4, which deals with people who have been committed to a psychiatric facility. Okay. And uh, that is the Air Force conclusion. I can't necessarily make that conclusion uh, without seeing Mr. Foster's medical records, and they wouldn't. Give those to me, but I know and I've seen, and they're part of the court's record, uh, the Air Force documents where they repeatedly say, "Do not issue Foster firearms. Do not allow him to possess firearms. Do not authorize him to transport firearms." And so they certainly concluded he was a prohibited person. And you know the government's argument throughout the the case was he was simply out there exercising his First and Second Amendment rights. And they made that argument knowing that, no, he wasn't legally entitled to be in possession of a firearm.
4: Wow. Was Garrett Foster uh, honorably discharged?
5: He was. Everybody who is administratively separated because of a medical reason gets an honorable discharge.
4: Yeah, and one of the questions on the Form 4473, which is the uh, federal form you have to fill out when you buy a gun, is have you been involuntarily committed, right? That's correct. And if you have, then you cannot purchase a firearm
1: and you're federally barred from doing so. So just to clarify, he was completely illegally carrying that gun.
5: That's my conclusion based on the Air Force records.
1: I just wanted to clarify that. Because if he's illegally carrying a gun, does that change the, the legal implications?
5: It changes everything right absolutely uh because he had no right to be out there carrying a gun in the first place yeah because he's not
1: he's not mentally fit to be carrying a firearm and he is and then he's holding it in low ready and then uh this incident happens
5: yeah and by the way that's not that's not my conclusion that it's at the low ready that's the government's own we were showing a
1: picture of it earlier yeah we've we've talked about this a million times but uh some people deny that he was doing that that's
5: yeah and and that drives me crazy because one of their their own witnesses stated that stated and used the term low ready And, and
1: and there is a picture that when you you when you look at it it's pretty obvious that he is
5: yes and the Uh,
4: other shooting hand like up to his shoulder pretty much his elbow
5: is raised right yeah um the other important evidence that came out was mr foster was 18 inches away from daniel perry's car door and so and we know this through those same forensic engineers that analyze uh the photogrammetry and the videogrammetry and so You guys know if you're holding the weapon at the low ready and you're 18 inches away. He was probably pointing it at Daniel Perry. Already. His body. His body. Mm -hmm. And we all know, and and the jury heard testimony that indicates that that AK-47 round will go through a regular car door like hot butter. Right. So So he was
3: pointing the AK at Daniel Perry. Yes. All right. So let me ask you more about uh, Gary Foster's little criminal. his, uh, getting discharged from the military so he wasn't convicted of anything in the military correct and he wasn't but he was involuntary admitted to a facility
5: uh I'm trying to be precise in what I say correct so that I'm accurate and fair uh, the the medical records would show was it a uh, commander that ordered him committed was it a doctor that ordered him into treatment I don't know because I haven't seen that But I saw all the documents that come after he gets out, and those documents make it clear the Air Force and the Air Force lawyers concluded he was a prohibited person.
3: Was he court-martialed?
5: No, no. No? No.
3: So no UCMJ? No. But he is deemed unfit to carry a rifle. But he would be able to pass a background check.
5: Well, he may have passed a background check because— as you may know, the Air Force is n- notoriously bad about loading data into the NCIC. Okay, and so we saw this in the Sutherland Springs mass mm-hmm. shooting. Correct. Right. Um, I my guess is they didn't enter any data regarding his psychiatric care.
1: Okay. So, at the very least, he's negligent and illegally carrying. Of I, I fire. believe so. Right. so Absolutely, the, right, so and, that, and 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 blocking traffic. So that's going to be
5: brandishing, right? And
1: brandishing number Any- of crimes. Anything else?
5: Not that I can think. Of. Okay.
1: All right, cool. I
3: just want to want to get some clarification because people are asking that question, you know, about that. Um, now we come back. I want to get into. Once he makes it down to. Well, he proceeds on down to Second Street and then someone fires a shot at his vehicle. I want to talk about the damages on the vehicle. I want you to talk about footprints. Were there any footprints on his vehicle? We talked about the handprints. Uh, were there any footprints? Also, were there any bullet holes in his vehicle? Um, you have any? I'm sure you have pictures of the damage of his vehicle. Uh, and also, was there a third person that fired a shot? Because it seemed to me, no one's ever talking about a third person that fired a shot. And I could swear I heard three different types of shots
5: absolutely yeah
3: we come back from the break going to talk about that because no one's brought that up because people are not listening they're not paying attention this is michael cargill and you are listening to come and talk it
2: this is chloe on noir and you're listening to come and talk it with michael cargill Welcome back to Come and Talk It, and now here's Michael Cargill.
3: All right, so we're talking with Doug O'Connell, He's a defense attorney for Daniel Perry. We're talking about the murder trial that took place uh, this year, off of the protest riots that happened July of 2020. And so, Doug, you know, you're explaining to us about uh, what happened that night on July, back in July of 2020. And I'm asking, I want to want you to get to when. Um, Daniel Perry took off, he he drove off from the scene, and then there were shots fired at his vehicle.
5: Yeah, so a a very short distance after Daniel starts to get moving heading south on Congress, uh, a person named Nico Daisy fires three shots at Daniel's car. Two hit the side of his vehicle. Uh, One shot is very close to the tire. It hits the wheel well. And Nico Daisy actually, even though he's very close to Daniel Perry's car, somehow he skips one round off the pavement and it ends up landing on the underside of Daniel Perry's car.
3: Oh, wow. That's that that's clearly deadly conduct there.
5: Uh, well, it, it gets worse. When I cross examine Nico Daisy, their testimony was that uh, the commotion that he was responding to was... 50 feet up the road. He couldn't see what was going on because of the crowd surrounding Daniel Perry's car. He heard gunshots. He didn't know if the gunshots were going into the car or coming out of the car. Yet, when Daniel Perry takes off, he decides it's a good idea for him to pull out his pistol and fire three times at Daniel Perry's car.
3: Okay, so let me get this right. So he didn't know what was going on. He couldn't, you know, make it out but he thought it would be a good idea to just pull out his gun and start firing rounds at the vehicle where he something was going on, not sure what was going on, and he, why?
5: Well, his explanation was it wasn't to protect himself. It wasn't to protect any third party. He was trying to mark the car for law enforcement. What?
3: Okay, that's deadly conduct. That's, that's insane.
5: Absolutely <laughs> deadly conduct. You can't wow. do that.
3: Uh, where is that in, in the Texas Penal Code where I can shoot at a vehicle – so that law enforcement can identify the vehicle.
5: Well, it's more ridiculous on top of that because Nico Daisy is one of these people who absolutely hates law enforcement and was out there as part of this protest to... Um,
1: so he's either a liar or a hypocrite, basically. <laughs> was he from Austin? He's, he, he, he's protesting the cops. He's you know Now he's trying
3: Originally to... Originally
5: from Indiana. He had been living in Austin shortly right after, around the time COVID hit. He hadn't uh-huh. been here long. And, um, yeah, he is not somebody who's going to do law enforcement any favors ever.
3: Mm. Um, Especially when your, your whole purpose of your protest is you're protesting law enforcement. Well, now, was this guy also illegally
5: carrying a gun? The detective seemed to think he was because and it was something to do with reciprocity. He, in fact, did have a Indiana license, but there was a Driver's some, license? No, a concealed handgun okay, license okay. or a, a license to carry— Whatever Indiana's version is, and uh, if I understood correctly, the detective determined that there wasn't reciprocity or there was some uh, some administrative right. problem, which meant he wasn't really legally legally carrying here in Austin, Texas. Yes. And um, you know that same detective, a guy named David Fugit. He's the twenty-seven year detective, eighteen year homicide detective. He is the same detective that. Determined, Daniel Perry did absolutely nothing wrong and was legally justified. Did not
1: recommend charges
5: against Daniel Perry, right, right. but he was adamant that uh, Nico Daisy, Nico Daisy, be charged. And of course, for political reasons, because you're
3: clearly firing—you know—you're firing rounds in a crowd. Yeah, that's crowd crazy. Of people on Congress just, Avenue. just to identify a vehicle, and that you cannot do. No, that's, that's one thing we actually talk about in the Life Scary Handgun Course. Under no circumstances can you ever, ever shoot at a vehicle. We actually really go in detail and talk about that. Don't ever shoot a vehicle. Bullets
1: do really weird things when you hit vehicles,
3: right.
5: especially the glass.
1: Right. Uh, I think it's really hypocritical how a lot of the people who are supporting uh, the Garrett Foster side of this, who think Daniel Perry should be found guilty, and, and he was, but I think it's really hypocritical that they are supporting someone when they're very pro uh, or very anti gun, very pro gun control. That they're supporting someone who was illegally carrying a gun. You, you got. You got to remember when you're
3: you're in a situation like this. You know, you're you're at a you're coming across a protest, and so you're going. You're there with a bunch of people that are there for a particular cause. So if something happens, that means everyone that's there is going to testify against you. You're going to be the only person on your side. That's one thing you got, you, know, you got to think about that.
4: You don't think all the protesters are going to be fair and honest? About no, absolutely the not. They're going to
3: turn to words, and they will lie and manipulate everything to be totally against you because they're there for that cause, particu- participate in that particular protest, and you come across this thing, it's going to be you against a hundred or more other people.
5: The, in, in, in their world, Daniel, I'm sorry, Garrett Foster is a hero and a martyr.
3: All right, so um, so he Daniel Perry then uh, goes down to Second Street. I uh, makes the Second Street, makes the left turn to Second Street, calls nine one one.
5: First Street or Caesar Chavez. Cesar Chavez, okay. Yeah. First
3: Street, okay. First. Oh, street.
5: It continues. He's on nine, with nine one one this whole time. He is freaking out. He's you know there's police cars passing that haven't seen him yet. He's yelling at him. All this is on the nine one one. Yeah, because police get there really quick, so they had to pass him. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so, actually, the first officer who makes contact with him is driving one of their transport vans and makes contact, and then several other officers right. show up. Daniel cooperates. Um, Daniel probably says too much, mm. in my opinion, yeah. as yeah. a lawyer.
3: Yeah, you got you got to help your attorney out. Uh, remember those little those little tidbits, the things that we talk about. You know, you have a you actually have a constitutional right. You have a right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used, used against you in a court of law. You got to remember that when an officer gets there, the officer's got a camera. That camera's recording. It's and it's being. you know, if the vehicle's pointed at you, you're getting recorded audio and visual. You got to exercise that right to remain silent. And now, once you've defended yourself, you protected yourself. From that threat that was happening, the reason you pulled out your firearm, now you need to protect yourself now from law enforcement, and now you got to change gears into that legal system and just shut up. Don't talk and let your attorney do the talking for you and do all the fighting now.
5: And, and, you know, most of the officers I know are not going to be offended by that. They're going to be fine with it. Um, And I'm not suggesting that Austin police officers won't give you a fair shake because they absolutely gave Daniel Perry a fair shake. They determined he acted legally.
3: It's Uh, it's not about that. It's about the news. The news is going to get access to this audio, this videotape. It's about what's going to, you know, this is going to be played in court, you know, what you're saying. It's
5: about how that prosecutor is going to twist those words and manipulate the situation, just as we've seen in this case.
3: That's right. Okay. All right. So then eventually he makes it down to, well, what did he say, you know, on on First Street?
5: Well, he, he does some good things. He articulates that I was in fear for my life. Um, He's obviously in shock once he figures out there's bullet holes in his um and it's all very compelling evidence that he was absolutely scared. Okay.
3: Now the Then he
5: then he goes to the police station, gives a longer videotaped interview with Detective Fugit. Ooh, okay.
3: And another another thing I don't like. because um, he then starts doing demonstrations and showing him, you know, how Garrett Foster was holding the rifle and all that kind of stuff, you know, for the, you know, this is all on the camera.
5: Oh, absolutely.
3: Did he give him his cell phone?
5: Gives him his cell phone.
3: Oh, Lord Jesus.
5: And later that's critical because the he government. Gives, so he
3: gives him the cell phone so they have access to enti- his entire phone.
5: Cell phone and voluntarily gives his passwords to his apps. Oh, wow. And then you know, of course, People. the government so uses that. You've got to, trial. You've got so let me ask you yourself. this
1: then: if uh, if he wouldn't have given them his cell phone, would they be able to get a warrant to to get access to his social media accounts? Yes. So that might not have mattered at the end of the day, anyway.
5: Well, maybe not. But
1: I'm not you, an attorney. You know, that gives me an opportunity. <laughs> to, right, but I'm just saying some stuff up, that's, and I'm
3: not an attorney. S-
1: yeah, but that's also that's uh, destroying evidence. That's it. obstruction of justice.
4: <laughs> yeah. they so, can get warrants for your social media. They, oh yeah,
5: they can, and yes. in fact, they did in this case. So it, did
4: so, they? They got his password, and then they saw it, and, they were, and then they were like, "Oh, we want this information." In well, he court, gave it to them. He gave so them the passwords. Let's get the authorization.
1: So it's it's possible that if he would have not given him the phone, they wouldn't have known to get a warrant for his social Correct.
5: media. Possibly, okay. but would have gone down know, that road. There's no need
1: to go down that road. But
5: remember. This was a political prosecution from the very beginning, so they were going to leave no stone unturned. So, so, but like going back to the apps, one of the one of the things they were able to do is with the Uber data, they were able to plot his uh, travels all around the city, his route, his because of the GPS data, Um, and and of course we don't, you know, we don't think that hurt because it showed he wasn't down there stalking the protesters, paralleling them doing circles around them or trying to locate where they were. He was
3: dropping off, picking up, keeping. he was keeping it moving. All
5: over the city and all the way out to the airport.
3: Right. He's keeping it moving. All right. All right. Now, he gets down to the, the police station, and he gives him the cell phone, you know, totally cooperates because he's thinking, man, you know, this officer, you know, this is my friend, you know, I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to be honest and upfront with this guy. He's thinking
5: I didn't do anything wrong.
3: I I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not guilty of anything. I clearly defended myself. And then he found out that Garrett Foster died.
5: Yes. So at some point, you know, the the detectives will leave you in that interview room for a good long while to let you stew and to build up some anxiety. And so at some point, another detective comes in uh, to check on him, and he's wearing a polo shirt with the APD logo. I'll let you
3: finish that when we come back. This is Michael Cargill and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Peace.
1: This is Maj Ture. You're listening to Come and Talk It Radio with Michael Cargill.
2: Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill.
3: All right. So um, before we left on the break, we're talking about the fact that, you know, one, you know, Daniel Perry should have exercised his right to remain silent, not talk too much. Uh, You guys got to remember that you have to defend yourself. Remember, you have a right to remain silent. Anything you say can, it will be used against you in the court of law. Uh, Police police are not your friend, uh, you know, even though, yes, I'm pro law enforcement. You know, I do think we need more police in Austin. I'm glad that DPS was here uh, augmenting the Austin Police Department. But police are not your friend. You got to exercise your right to remain silent and protect yourself from police once you're involved in the situation. Uh, Everything's been recorded. What you're saying will be used on the news. The DA was going to use that. Um, It's going to be played back in court. And it's going to be used to frame the conversation against you on top of, the fact that everyone else, if they're associated with that one person, they're going to be testifying against you as well. So there's a lot to think about. And you got to think twice before pulling out that firearm. Um, but we were talking before we went on the break. You were getting to some really good <laughs> stuff there. <laughs> and I totally stopped you there. I apologize.
5: No problem. I would say the district attorney is not your friend.
3: That's right. Um, but so what we we're talking, especially in Travis County. Yeah.
5: Uh, I, what we're talking about is, so Daniel Perry's in the law, uh, law enforcement interview room in the homicide division, but he doesn't know where he's at. They just put him in a room. And so one of the detectives comes in, just check on him. He's wearing a polo shirt with the APD logo and it says homi- homicide unit. And that's when Daniel Perry realized someone was dead. The guy who had threatened him, who he had to shoot in self-defense was dead and Daniel again loses it and breaks down.
3: Mm. Okay. Now, let's be for a little bit. Let's go to trial. So now we're, you know, we're in court. Once, you know, first of all, I didn't think this was actually going to go to court. I was actually surprised.
5: Never should have gone to trial because
3: I was surprised that the they had got a, they actually got a um a, an indictment. An indictment, yes, before well, the grand
5: jury. They manipulated that situation. You'll recall Detective Fugit, swore out an affidavit, uh alleging that Jose Garza, the DA, had tampered with him as a witness before the grand jury.
3: <laughs> Let's talk about that a little bit. All yeah. right, so, uh, so the detective, his statement was what?
5: The gist of it was I, I assembled this PowerPoint presentation that went through every step of my investigation, and the district attorney ordered him to remove all the slides which contained exculpatory information and ordered him... Meaning what? Uh, exculpatory, meaning evidence that would show Daniel Perry acted in, in accordance with the law and okay. was did not commit an offense uh, anywhere in the Texas penal code. And so the they ordered that to be removed, and they prohibited from De- Detective Fugit from uttering anything that related to this exculpatory evidence. Okay. And, um, you know, it's... <laughs> It's pretty outstanding that you have a seasoned homicide detective swearing out an affidavit against a prosecutor alleging witness tampering. That that doesn't happen, right? And uh, it's it's pretty compelling evidence that this case was political manufactured from the very beginning.
3: Okay, all right, and and then
5: so you know the district attorney controls the grand jury. Uh, controls what they're allowed to see, controls what they're not allowed to see, and has no obligation to uh, present the evidence that we submitted and, in fact, didn't. And so Daniel Perry gets indicted.
3: Right. All right, so he gets indicted, and now this goes to trial.
5: Goes to trial. And it was a pretty long trial for Travis County Standards, a couple Correct. weeks. Um, the first week was the government's case in chief and then we the second week was the defense putting on evidence and something important happened during that weekend between the government's case and the defense case what happened we discovered later was one of the jurors went home that weekend and couldn't help himself and got onto the internet and researched what he thought was the law of self-defense in texas Mm. and he printed out what he thought was the law and and he brought it into the jury room on Monday, and he talked to at least a few other of the jurors, and he showed them this material, and he explained, hey, you know, the way I read this, the defense has to prove self-defense. And, of course, that's not the law at all. That's 180 degrees opposite of what the law is. Correct. The law in Texas is the government has the burden proof. prove. The government has to prove you guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, right. and they have to prove— or rather disprove self defense beyond a reasonable doubt. And so that juror and everybody else he convinced had it absolutely wrong. And so this was one of the bases of our motion for new trial. And the judge concluded and this is pretty standard judicial logic. It's pretty standard when with the idea that the judge's charge to the jury that comes at the end of the trial the instructions would have cleared up any misunderstanding the jurors had uh, before they started deliberating. Okay, And I can't necessarily uh, debate that logic, but it misses the point. The point is, as the jurors are sitting in the jury box receiving the evidence that we're putting on, they are filtering our evidence through this corrupted filter whereby they think we have something we have to prove. OK. And that's absolutely wrong. And we believe that that should have resulted in a mistrial or I'm sorry, a motion for a new trial and will be one of the basis for the the appeal.
3: And, and you know, and, and I think uh, so some things that, you know, I'm not sure if you brought them up during the trial was the stand your ground law we have here in Texas. You know, you have a right to stand your ground, you know, anywhere you have a right to be, you, as long as you're not committing the crimes, as long as you're not uh, you're not trespassing, you know if someone you perceive someone trying to kill you you can use, you can stay in your ground and defend yourself okay uh, and then also we have the castle doctrine you know you you know if someone attempts to enter or remove you um, from your vehicle or you you know or they're trying to kill you while you're in your vehicle you can use force deadly force to stop them so i you know my perspective i thought he, there was two different ways you know he was a very good offense um, of, the, of defending your client it was the stand your ground law and also the the castle doctrine what are your thoughts on that
5: One of my thoughts is the government doesn't understand stand your ground at all. Mm. One of the things they kept arguing was uh, their analysis was that there was nobody in front of the vehicle, even though people testified, I kicked the front bumper. Um, But they kept arguing, well, Daniel Perry could have just driven off. The reality is. You can't drive
3: off if someone's standing in front of your vehicle. That's
5: true. But even if nobody's in front, he had no obligation to drive off. And so their argument was a misstatement of the law. You can stay in his ground. You don't have exactly. to leave. You don't have. That's the
3: whole purpose of the staying your ground law. Especially you don't have to since
5: leave. he's legally entitled to be on that street. That's right. Where cars are supposed to be operating.
3: If he jumped on the start driving on the sidewalk, that'd have been a totally different story. Exactly. <laughs> but he didn't drive on the sidewalk. He's driving on the street where he had a right to be. Okay. All right. So um. All right. So we're we're in trial. You know we're. Uh, going through the case, and you have different witnesses come forward, and all the you know, of course, you're going to have witnesses that are there on at, at the scene, participating in the protest, and they're going to you know be totally against your client. Absolutely. Okay, and so you have a number of people. Uh, did you guys have anyone come forward to talk about your client and, and his character?
5: We did. Um, we're we're limited in what we what kind of character evidence we can put on during the guilt-innocence phase.
3: Because you've got to be careful. You don't want to have some things brought in. Exactly. Okay.
5: But we had lots of character evidence um, that came in during the punishment phase, especially in light of the fact that the government tried to make Daniel out to be a racist. We had...
3: Let's talk about that. Let's talk sure. about his social media because he gave he gave police his phone. He gave them the passwords to his social media accounts. So now they're all in his phone going left and right, and they're all in his social media accounts, everything.
5: The police saw all of that. Okay. They saw all of it, and uh, they read all of it. They analyzed all of it, and when Detective Fugit testified and the prosecutors were uh, asking him about it, He made a point of telling him, look, you're taking this out of context. You're complete. And, you know, he also had the strong belief that they were completely manipulating the social media evidence to arrive at a destination they were trying to get to.
3: All right. What was the mindset of your client, you know, as far on social media? What was his thoughts as far as the protests and things of that nature?
5: He was very much against violent protesting and looting and burning cities down. Um, I share those beliefs. I'm completely uh, in love with the first amendment and love with the second amendment, but I don't believe in violent protest. And Daniel articulated that over and over on social media. And he also, you know, to be fair, said some really stupid things and shared some memes that were tasteless and some that were repugnant. Repugnant. Yeah. And, um, I make no apology for that, but everyone does it. Yes. Everyone does it on social
3: media. We all do it, you know, do things you're not supposed to do. And we try to remind people those things are going to come up in court. Bumper stickers come up in court. What you say on social media is going to come up in court, you know, so you, it's it's going to happen.
5: It, it And some of these memes were stuff that was shared uh, with his platoon and squad in the military. It wasn't even posted. It was direct messages mm. that they got from the social media evidence.
3: All right, we're going to close this out. We come back from the break. Even what you're saying on YouTube, what you're saying right now on YouTube in the comment section, that's going to come up in court in your case too. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening. Come and talk it.
1: Yo, what's going on, guys? It's Jack Jones here, and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It.
2: Welcome back to Come and Talk It, and now here's Michael Cargill. All right, we're talking with Doug O'Connell,
3: defense attorney for Daniel Perry. Doug, you know, what did we not talk about?
2: Yeah, so there's
5: uh, a couple other key chunks of evidence that weren't allowed to come into trial, which will form basis of appeal that we believe should have been admitted. One was Garrett Foster's street interview with a street journalist, same day as Daniel Perry used deadly force. And You know, people can go find that video, that interview. It's on YouTube and decide for themselves. But my interpretation is Garrett Foster says the reason I'm carrying this AK-47 in downtown Austin is to intimidate people who are not out here marching with us. Mm. That goes to evidence of who the first aggressor is and should have been admitted in trial. The other chunk of evidence that wasn't admitted at trial that we think is very relevant is Garrett Foster and his fiancee, Whitney Mitchell. uh, They operated in concert to stop other vehicles on other days. Specifically what they do is Garrett Foster would push Ms. Mitchell. She's in a wheelchair out in front of other cars, forcing them to stop. And then the mob would surround the car and beat on the car. And this was kind of their set operating procedure. To the point where other people in Austin pulled guns and were ready to use deadly force. They just didn't get that far. Right, um, And so that evidence will be part of the basis of the appeal going forward.
3: And that's some serious stuff. You're talking about, you know, she's in a wheelchair. He's using her, pushing her into traffic, oncoming traffic to use her. To stop other vehicles, so they can surround the vehicle, intimidate the drivers. She's yeah. a human
1: roadblock.
5: Yeah, initiating. And she's paraplegic. Initiating the confrontation. Wow, and that's first aggressor uh, conduct. <clears> have <throat> <clears throat> we
1: covered de-escalation yet? Yeah. Like the fact that he shouldn't have approached the car. If he was really using that rifle for self-defense, he should have been um, stepping away, right? And and pr- you know, protecting his wife, as he said. Or yeah, am I so, getting her out of danger yeah. instead of, Garrett, instead, in of instead of escalating the situation, which is clearly what he did by approaching the vehicle? Yeah. I think that's inarguable.
5: Garrett Foster's mental state was that night that I am the self-appointed security detail for he, these protesters. He was acting like, like a cop. Yes. He was
1: protesting the cops acting like a cop, like Michael has said over and over.
5: And he felt entitled to go up and confront people who would have the nerve and dare to drive in the streets of Austin while they were taking the streets. Hmm.
1: You know, I think that at the end of the day that, uh, you know, somebody could try and say that Daniel Perry was ready to kill somebody based on his text message or social media and whether that's true or not, I don't know. I don't even really care, but I think that, I mean, call me crazy, but I think Garrett Foster was ready to kill somebody myself.
5: You know, there's some, um, There's some speculation, and the evidence wasn't quite clear about whether or not he had a a round in the chamber. He had 30 rounds in the magazine, but by the time the police took control of the firearm, um, they can't testify without absolute certainty. It wasn't cleared. A police officer grabs it in the middle of this crowd where it's complete chaos, and his job is to Get 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 the weapon and get control of it so somebody doesn't grab it. The, the magazine is already detached at that point. He scoops up both and throws it in a car. Uh, and so whether or not there was a round in the chamber is up for dispute. But none of that matters. I agree. Because you can't, if you're looking at the muzzle of an AK-47, you can't tell whether you don't it's know. on safe, off safe, round in the chamber, no round.
1: Right. But it does... Th- at the end of the day, if if he, you know, there's that interview with him with the street journalist. I don't know if that was Hiram or who that was. It was Hiram, right? That 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 sh- that interview shows that he was essentially saying that he was ready to, you know,
5: yeah. And keep in mind, Garrett That's- had you know not just the rifle, but he had a club, and underneath his t shirt, he was wearing this weird neoprene vest. For one or two reasons, either to look more buff or two, uh, to lessen the impact of other people striking him or less lethal beanbag rounds shot by the police. There was a lot of weird stuff going has on. Has
1: anybody, has any, did anybody bring up in the trial that, that they thought potentially that Garrett Foster was down there to kill somebody?
5: Yeah. So one of my, Exhibits, I used an argument, was photographs of Garrett all decked out for battle. Right. You know, rifle, club, knife, uh, tactical backpack with another five or six 30-round magazines. Uh, he's equipped for... Wow, he
1: almost sounds like a school shooter.
5: He, he's equipped for combat. He's ready for a firefight. Right. Daniel Perry was wearing shorts, t-shirt, and flip-flops. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, 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 and I don't
1: think you can lynch somebody like this based on their social media, man. I, that's just so crazy. I've said so much in so many insane things and we have group chats and we send memes and there's all sorts. It's, it's called yeah. better I can't, not get in trouble. Then. I can't say it on air because Casey will dump it. But it's called What's uh, yeah, re- called poop re- poop posting. There's a yeah. term for it, but like it's not real. You know, it's just insane. This is this is a political assassination, in my opinion, through and through completely. You got to remember that stuff, though. That stuff will come up in court. It always does. Yeah, but why does that even have any, based on what he said in so, on social media, has nothing to do with how he was thinking in that isolated moment. Not to mention that you can send things that, that you think are funny that you don't even believe or back up. I mean, I, I work I, I work in comedy. You, those comedians would be hung out to dry, every single one of them, every single one of them, if they did something wrong. You're going to like, what? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. Everything's fair game in war. What about what about George Soros funding Garza, the DA? Have we have we? Can we get into that?
5: Sure. Um, I don't know more than what's out there in the media, but um...
1: Soros is somebody who likes to crash a country's economies and is extreme far left. And he, in my opinion, very clearly funded Garza to undermine things like Second Amendment. And any any sort of conservative or even libertarian value well, in a city like Austin.
5: And also law enforcement. Yeah. Is very much and, and, and
1: I'm not even a big fan of law enforcement. Yeah. <laughs> but but I agree with you on that. I well, think that's it's it's very evident.
5: Yeah. Um r- rather than spend the remaining moments talking about that, right. let me tell you guys road ahead for Daniel Perry, because it's critical to understand. Uh we're not done fighting for Daniel. We're we're not gonna be done fighting until we get justice. So the the fight now has three different prongs and components. An appeal based on some of the things I've talked about, and I have no doubt that will prevail there. But also, you know, Governor Abbott has said he wants to pardon Daniel Perry. We, now that the sentencing phase of the trial is over, we can submit a pardon petition, and we will. And it will include some of the things we've talked about, like the Garrett Foster's Air Force records showing that he never should have even been in possession of a firearm. And then the Army wants to give Daniel a other than honorable discharge. Mm. Now we get the idea he has to be discharged Correct. because you can't serve in the Army if you're in prison. Correct. Right. But we feel strongly that, you know, Daniel hadn't done anything <laughs> wrong. And. Because of that, he deserves and he has earned an honorable discharge. And we're going to fight for that. We're going to fight on all three of these funds for Daniel.
3: Okay. And then how can how can people donate to his uh, legal defense?
5: Yeah. So Daniel has a Go Get Funding page. Not GoFundMe, but Go Get Funding. Uh, we've had several clients who have been involved in self-defense situations where uh, – They have to use Go Get Funding because GoFundMe will not support somebody who has been charged by, you know, a a DA with a political agenda. And so if you go on that page, Go Get Funding Daniel Perry, it'll show something like $153,000. That money is gone. It's long gone. And it, you know, he can use every bit of help he can get at this point because the family is— financially devastated um, you I know you have talked about this the the absolute imperative need to have a legal defense plan if you carry a firearm that's right and I am here to tell you you are absolutely right the legal expenses in a case like this are astronomical
3: yeah um, and, and and you got to help your attorneys out you got to help them out uh... When you're after you fired that shot, you, you defend it yourself. You kind of have to help them out and don't give the other side that ammunition. You know, you have a right to remain silent. You know, don't talk to police. You'll let your attorney do the talking to the police for you. You know, don't give up anything. Let them get a, You know, they make them get a warrant.
1: You get access to anything. I don't let someone search my vehicle. Any of that stuff real quick. Um, and I will say this. The most helpful thing I've ever done ever and I've done it multiple times for anything 2A, is take Michael's class at, at, at uh, Central Texas Gunworks. It really is. like it, it teaches you the ins and the outs. You can ask all the questions. Michael is the foremost expert on, on 2A in Austin, probably Central Texas. It is very helpful to know your laws and to, and to know how to properly carry and what to do. Mm-hmm. As always, more guns equals less crime.
3: You go out there and you buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill.